Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, an attempt via podcast to humanize the impact COVID-19 is having on small businesses by talking to the humans that run them. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau. My guest today, who we'll talk to in just a few minutes, is Joe Bettles, a second-generation restaurant owner and a world-class nice guy. Joe and I will talk about seeing sales go down 90%, the risk of accepting PPP money, alternative models in use globally, and what the future of restaurant dining may look like. And fun fact, Joe is the first guest of the show I went to middle school with. If you're a first-time listener, yes, this podcast is an excuse for me to chat up some of my favorite entrepreneurs slash humans. The big goal, though, is to be honest about the pandemic's effects, both professionally and personally, and thus remind everyone, you are not alone. Especially if you are a small business owner, this show is an audio shoulder for you to cry on, where we understand what you are going through. This situation genuinely sucks for all of us, but we're going to get through it together. Because this podcast is meant to be a time capsule of sorts and to capture the moment, I think it's helpful to provide some context. So with that in mind, here are some key public health and economic statistics from the date of this interview, May 12th, 2020. There have now been 4.3 million total reported cases worldwide and nearly 300,000 deaths. In the US, active cases recently surpassed the million mark, 12 times what they were when we recorded our first interview just seven weeks ago. The death toll hit 83,000, but there is a glimmer of good news because there has been a recent decline in the number of daily fatalities, though losing 1,500 people a day is far from a victory. Many states have loosened shelter-in-place guidelines, something public health experts are warning will most certainly lead to a rise in infection rates. Moving on to the economics, total unemployment filings since the pandemic began now exceed 36 million people which is about 11% of the entire U.S. population. The 2.9 million new filings last week is actually an 8% decrease from the prior week, though keep in mind it still absolutely shatters the pre-COVID all-time record of 700,000 weekly filings. I'm not sure if it's good news or if we are just starting to run out of people. And although it's a mediocre metric, unless you're my backup best man at my wedding and friend of the show Warren Buffett, but the Dow Jones Industrial Average finished the day at 23,700, down nearly 20% from its all-time high of 29.5 in mid-February, but for some reason up 1,500 from its low point. Perhaps more reflective of the average American, retail sales in April plunged 16%. Keep in mind, a decrease of 1-2% to 2% would normally be headline news. So, with that sobering information, let's move on to the fun part, the interview. Today's guest is my good friend of over 20 years, Joey Bettles. After a career as an actor in New York City, Joe returned to San Diego to help run his family's restaurant, Kono's Cafe, the crown jewel of the beachfront breakfast scene. Besides being a small business owner, he is also pursuing a master's degree in public policy at UCSD, so he will definitely be the most informed person on the show today. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. 
Well, I'm super excited to have you on the show to hear your insights, not only as a restaurateur, but also someone who's well-versed in public policy, which obviously is more relevant than ever. Yeah, I think um, it's an interesting time to be doing both of those things. I, I think a lot about running a business when I'm in school and when I'm helping run the business, then I'm also thinking about everything I'm learning in school. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, so just a little backstory about Kono's Cafe. Uh, it's wh when did you guys open or when did, I should say, when did, when did your parents open it? Sure. Um, so my parents opened the restaurant in June of 1991. So okay. I was like five years old. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, it's, so like literally some of my earliest memories as a human <laughs> are eating at Kono's Cafe, which is uh, 20 yards from the from the beach. Uh, just absolutely iconic location, you know, standing in line because you have your, your summer lines just wrap around the building, mm -hmm. up the boardwalk, down the boardwalk, up onto the street. Like it, it's everyone knows about Kono's, mm -hmm. right? If, you, if you've lived in San Diego and you like breakfast, you know what Kono's is. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit kind of from your perspective, like how you've seen Kono's grow, just a little bit about it, what, what it's famous for? Uh, I know, you know, I obviously know because it's one of my favorite things. Anytime I, I bring someone into from out of town, Kono's is a, is 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 a, a must stop. Yeah, it's it it didn't start that way in the beginning, and and you've been going long enough that you probably know that area was a little sketchy when uh, Kono's first opened. There was a biker bar across the boardwalk from us, and it just wasn't the the neighborhood that it is now. Um, but my parents saw the potential in it and obviously the location is incredible right on the water next to this beautiful pier. Um, and I think what the reason why it's been so successful, I think that businesses, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this, but I think businesses are really, when they're good, at least they reflect the, the owners, the the people and their personalities yes, and absolutely. their values. And I think that my parents just, um, they're great people and they put a lot of love into it. And I think that the business really reflects that and reflects their personalities. Absolutely. And, and a couple things uh, just to kind of build on that. I think one, yes, like I, I was saying, Kono's is a, a place that I bring people from out of town to. And I think that at this point, it's it's kind of a destination place where a lot. Where, oh, you're in San Diego and you're staying by the beach. Oh, well, you got to go to Kono's. It probably has like you know a million five star reviews. But it's also a place that, and I think this is what makes it rare, really appeals to the local clientele mm. as well. I, I don't think there are a ton of restaurants that really appeal to both. Um, and and when I think of you know especially about your dad who who was so involved in the day to day operations of it, and I don't mean like day-to-day -day, you know ordering from the back office i mean like you know he'd been running a, a successful breakfast spot for 25 30 years and he's still the one who's coming out and like wiping <laughs> down the tables and interacting with with the with you know the the customers who have been coming for 25 30 years and then also the people who were there for the first time and so i i feel like Again, in this day and age, people are, that's kind of what's in, but your dad's been doing it forever. Like it's the, the nicest family running the, you know, the, the tastiest, most affordable <laughs> giant portion, uh, just iconic restaurant. And it's, you know, I, 
we are, at some point we're gonna have to move on to something else in this show <laughs> but i just just for in case people haven't been to konos i feel like i just have to paint this picture uh with just some level of detail to to get across just how iconic it is and why it is so great like it, there's no bluster here it's just all quality so uh, one thing oh, i'll just add to that is that i one of the great things about uh being able to be more closely involved in the business is that because it has been around so long and because people have so many memories that are associated with Konos, it really feels like Konos doesn't belong to me and my family. It really, this sounds so cheesy, but it, it really does feel like it belongs to the customers because they have such an attachment um, because it's been around for so many years and it's been consistent for so many years. And we've had, a lot of our same crew. And so I always feel like a lot of my job is to just maintain that while updating here and there, but but not, you know, breaking it, not not ruining that magic that people keep coming back. Yeah. And you and you mentioned having a lot of the same employees for a really long time. I actually remember one time I had a friend go to Kono's to to place an order for me back when because I used to lifeguard you know 50 yards i used to be, i was a beach lifeguard and I, I lifeguarded you know 50 yards from konos and so someone from the tower went to go place an order for us and they placed an order and it was with martine and and they put in my order and there were some specific substitutions there and martine is writing this down and this is obviously what was relayed to me later was writing down my order and looks up and goes is this for grant and like that's just that's insane right i mean it's one thing to to like to remember a face and another thing to remember a name and then to put it together and remember an order and it's not like i'm coming in every day i'm coming in like every you know couple of months really you know and it, like it just speaks to the quality of the people that you are employing and i know that your your dad and, and mom have always been really good about taking care of your staff and uh it's just one more reason wh why your family is the best but Talk to me just a little bit about your journey from stage actor in New York, coming back to help your family open up a second location and kind of maybe take over a little bit more in the day-to-day -day operations. Um, so that was a, that was a pretty tough thing for me to do. Um, I, as you know, I, from an early age, knew I wanted to be an actor. I went to school for, to be an actor. And then I moved to New York and, and I did well. It, 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 I didn't leave New York because I felt like I was a failure. I just didn't, the lifestyle of being an actor just didn't feel sustainable into my thirties. And um, I moved back when I was 29. Um, and really what started is the year before I had applied to grad school for theater. Um, and I applied to two schools in San Diego. And I was so bummed about not, particularly not getting into those two schools. I didn't care about Juilliard or Yale. I was sad about not getting into the San Diego schools. And I realized that I just kind of wanted to go home. And that that was a big reason why I had applied to grad school. So that got me thinking about moving back to San Diego. And then the way things tend to work out like they do. Um, around that time, one of the really long time managers, his name is Pablo at Kono's, um, was interested in opening a second location. And Pablo's the man, he's 
incredibly smart and he knows the business inside and out. And so my dad decided to partner with him and they found this location in Pacific Plaza. Um, but, you know, my dad at that point is mid late sixties and, you know, not really up for opening a new business. So there was this opportunity for me to kind of work on his behalf as the partner in that location. And uh, so that was what brought me back. It, I'm so glad it happened. Yeah. And, and not only, you know, at that point, was he not really interested in, or, you know, from a, from a, um, where he was in his life necessarily interested in expanding, but he had one beautiful location. And part of what made it so great was there was one, and one of the things that made it kind of like iconic, I think, was the the proudly displayed handwritten chalkboard that said, we haven't raised our prices in mm-hmm. X amount of days. And I mean, th- that thing has gone into the thousands before, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So, all right. Uh, enough about just <laughs> how amazing <laughs> Konos is and how many great memories I have about Konos. <laughs> but, uh, and I think I already said this, you know, it, in the in the summertime, or and even i i think on like a reasonably nice day in the winter in spring break there's gonna be a line right and it's gonna go outside and it's gonna wrap down the block and and that's obviously part of kind of the 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 bc the before COVID aspect of it right mm-hmm. um so do you happen to know like kind of off the top of your head and i guess i should have prepared you with this but like about how many plates or a number of, of customers or, or what you were serving some metric of foot traffic without asking you to share your your daily revenues with me sure. on what a successful day was you know uh summer 2019 yeah i think it would be just orders would be somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four hundred orders so you know obviously those would have multiple many would have multiple plates, but. Right, almost all of them, I would assume. I yeah. Mean, most, most people are coming with a significant other or like a group of friends. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's a breakfast place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With incredible seating, uh, with a view of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so three to 400 uh, orders a day. You're open from what, seven, seven to Seven to three. Seven to three, okay. Yeah, and it and it's just a it's a it's a breakfast only menu. The menu has probably been ninety five percent the same mm-hmm. since day one. It's pretty much. I, I would assume the vast majority of your orders are like either a bre- big breakfast number one or a big breakfast number two. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's right. That, yeah, <laughs> totally. So I, I guess we we can just pretty quickly go ahead and pivot from the the BC the before COVID to mid COVID and let's go ahead and talk because you're you're the first restaurateur that I've had on on the show and I and obviously any sit down restaurant has been hit incredibly hard I mean it's like one of the most heavily impacted uh, I- industries period and then on top of that I don't think that Konos was exactly known for its takeout obviously it, it's an option but it's it's a fun sit down spot you know like people are, are walking by uh parking isn't great but that's okay you know that kind of <laughs> kind of adds to it right I mean you got lots mm-hmm. of locals coming you got people from the hotels coming 
and and the the dining experience is fun because inside you have like these great decorations you've got surfboards everywhere you've got surf videos playing and then you walk outside across the way you can you can sit on the deck you can look over the ocean so it's like this really fun sit down spot for a very affordable price i would say and this is just i'm gonna guess and then you tell me you know how far off i am but i would assume that like your takeout orders before this all started was probably like in the single digits probably yeah, right yeah yeah fair to say and obviously at this point it's now a hundred percent because dine-in is illegal mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. um and i think that is going to start changing here in the relative future maybe with in- increased or, or mandated social distancing and uh, you know, a, a much less uh, densely populated sitting area. But for, as you've moved from maybe 5% takeout to 100% takeout, can you kind of share some numbers with at its peak, or I guess at, at its valley, just how low the the number of orders per day has, has become? Yeah, it got as low as um, 90% down. Um, wow. from the previous year um probably even so you, some days that were below that yeah so you went from like three or four hundred orders a day to like 20 30, 30 to 40 40 yeah, 40. yeah. That's, that's a long time between orders <laughs> yeah yeah that's a lot of like sitting that, around waiting yeah that reminds me of some early days working farmers markets when uh, it was mandatory to be there because you kind of signed a contract to mm. to be there every time and it was raining on like a weekday mm. and just looking around like please someone <laughs> come here buy anything <laughs> yeah brutal so you know the restaurant industry is notorious for its low margins already mm-hmm. and you're your prices at Kono's have always been so affordable and it's a lot of food. And so I would assume that like you're basically deriving all, like all profitability comes from quantity and, and high foot traffic. Exactly. Is, is that That's fair to very say? very accurate. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not selling like a, a you know, a five course prefix, no uh, surf and turf, w- whatever, where it's like every person and bottles of wine, you're like, no, this is a, a $10 plate of eggs and, and French toast. Great. We just made $3. Okay. Now we need yeah. 300 more of those people to come in so that we can pay everybody. Exactly. Yeah. If we make a dollar off each plate, then that's, a, that's good. So. Yeah. That, that's a win right there. So you, you went down to, we'll say 30 ish, you know, down 90%. As the economy and and has kind of or as there's been like a, 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 a this term gets a, is really overplayed, but it, as the there's like this new norm of takeout options, and I think people are trying to support local. Have you seen that? Uh, help w- in terms of an, an uptick in sales? Have you seen kind of, a, a, have you felt the community support? Definitely. Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, those in those really the bottom of the valley, those 30, 40 orders, those were probably all community support. Um, yeah. 
And now that people feel a little safer to leave their homes, um, it it's uh, definitely a good percentage of our businesses. I think, you know, people coming because they care about us and they want us to stay open. Yeah. Well, I mean, a couple things there. One, obviously, going back to what we were talking about earlier, you and your family have shown such care in taking care of your employee or of your employees, but also most people don't know about that. They know about how well you've taken care of them as customers. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they would try to kind of pay that back. I know my sister, Stevie, who you know, has been really good about- Yeah, you guys have been the best. <laughs> you guys were one of those 40 orders, for I, sure. Well, I, I'm, gonna, no, I'm gonna give the credit to Stevie. She, she's the one who, uh, so my stepdad, Glenn, who you also know because he and his rowing buddies have been going to Kono's since oh, yeah. day one. I don't even want it. My, uh, my mom doesn't want to know how much Glenn has spent at Kono's over the last 30 years. Uh, I feel like they could probably have like a, a vacation house somewhere. Uh, <laughs> you know, like once a week, every week for, you know, 45 weeks a year for 30 years or whatever. But I digress. So Glenn has been going out and be- because he's above 60, he's been able to go to like the early hours of uh, Trader Joe's or Costco or whatever. So every Wednesday or every Tuesday night, and we're actually recording this on a Tuesday. I, I got to get my uh, my grocery list into him. <laughs> so he goes out and, and he buys uh, the groceries for all of my siblings and delivers them house to house in PB as we all live in like, you know, a few block radius. And so Stevie uh, made it a point to buy him a gift certificate that we all kind of chipped in on, uh, obviously to his favorite restaurant, which would be Kono's. Oh, that's so awesome. So yeah. And like, I, it's funny. I didn't even think about that until literally like this just now. And it's because Kono's is such an ingrained part of our lives. And, you know, obviously we're local native PB-tions. And so <laughs> it means a lot, you know, for us to try to, to, to support, um, you know, our, our favorite local restaurants. So uh, it makes me happy to hear that other people are doing that, that same sort of thing. And then one other point is, you know, I asked how much the, the local community has come out to show up. And, and you, you said that it's probably the majority of, of people who are coming by. Well, kind of that, like, obviously, because normally at this point, we would have bridged from spring break into summer. And with that, there would be a ton of tourists. But there are no tourists, you know, Airbnbs are at like 4% capacity. Right. Mm. So I would assume that all of the hotels that are right around that area that are normally booked out at 95 or 100 percent occupancy are experiencing very similar, you know, almost, you know, you're hearing crickets in those hotels. So you're not getting that normal tourist influx and building on that. How have you been able to, you know, keep your staff? Uh, you know, busy, employed? Have you had to, unfortunately, you know, lay anybody off? Uh, And then from there, we can maybe transition into the PPP, which uh, this is, I believe, my first interview where that PPP PPP money is actually starting to be released or has been released now. Mm. Yeah, so the first thing we did, we have one of our longtime cooks. He's, um, he has um, one of the health risks um, okay. that, you know, it just was immediately clear that he shouldn't be at Konos. 
um, and that he needed to self-quarantine. So um, we we let him go so that he could go on unemployment and made sure that he got on it and that he was taken care of. Um, and then we did, uh, there was one other person, a food runner who was in financially a situation where she would be better on unemployment. Otherwise we kept everybody on. Um, wow. And, and how many employees do you have? We have, 17 no no no. Okay. 15 yeah i guess 15 and then my parents and i <laughs> right and um, you kept you, wow and you, and you kept everyone except for two yeah and those were sort of by choice or necessity yeah. i guess i guess kind there was one other that worked one day a week so yeah three okay um, and everyone else is full-time so no then we the next was then we cut down hours but you right. know, we did keep, everybody was still in the high 30s uh, hours per week. Mm -hmm. So um, of the full-time employees and then part-time. Um, so they probably saw maybe 10 to 20% reduction in their hours. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, we were just like, we, we really wanted them to know that the door was always open and that we really wanted to hear from them if things were getting bad and wanted to help. Right. So that's incredible. I mean, I feel like it, relative to your peers in the restaurant industry, those numbers are astronomically high. I will concur. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, you know, I think about all the other restaurants and Konos is in a very fortunate situation because we've been around for so long and my dad being the smart businessman that he is had a bit of a rainy day fund obviously that rainy day fund isn't going to last us right it's not months a rainy and months and months. year fund. yeah exactly but um it was kind of the cushion we needed to go from the you know covid starting to um, when we got our ppp loan yeah, that first month when there was all of that uncertainty and then the CARES Act was passed. And then I, I would assume that you were probably experiencing similar things that I was in terms of interfacing with a banker who was learning everything on the fly. Right. And were you the one, were you the, were you the family representative interfacing and, and applying for the PPP? So that, so my parents, obviously, I've kept them as far away as I can from the restaurant. So right. I, I was the one, I've been the one, you know, to be on the ground. And so I gave them <laughs> the very fun job of applying for the CARES Act, um, okay. which, so they, they did all that, but I definitely heard their daily updates and yeah. trials and tribulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I know from a personal standpoint, like I, I was interfacing with the, with the VP of whatever it was. Uh, but she is a, a VP at our local um, uh, bank and she, and we've been with her or we, well, we've been with the bank for, like I say, I guess I opened up my first savings account there when I was like, you know, six or whatever. It's like oh. that kind of bank. And so this woman has been fantastic. But when I was applying for the loan, I was like, okay, so what do I need to be keeping track of in order to ensure full forgiveness? And she was basically like, I don't know. I don't Isn't have a great answer for amazing? you. Amazing. Nobody can like, tell us. <laughs> right. No. And so 
you know, sort of a, a broad Google search will, will pull up a lot of things that are kind of in that like center of the Venn diagram. So like everyone kind of agrees on what the basic structure is of what you should be keeping track of. And it's like, okay, so at least 75% needs to be spent on payroll. Mm-hmm. And then the other 25% can be spent on, you know, uh, utilities and uh, rent or mortgage. And then like maybe some other things. And, and it's like, I'm, whenever I have questions, you know, I have a direct line of communication with, with this, um, you know, with the, the VP you know, who's, a, who's our loan officer. And she basically says that she, at the end of the night, has a list of questions that she and, uh, you know, I would assume a bunch of other like local banking officers are on the phone with a government representative who are just forwarding questions on and they're all just kind of like hashing it out and figuring it out on the fly. It, it's, yeah, it, it's incredible that like, oh, what is it, a $2 trillion package or something that that was passed and still like these very generic or like, yeah, very, very simple questions can't be answered right away. So what are you guys doing? Any, I know you said your parents are kind of handling the PPP aspect of it, but have you created like a separate account or are you just kind of keeping yeah. track of everything and then like, we'll just figure it out later. That's funny. That's exactly what we initially had thought. Well, we'll just create a separate bank account and then nobody can question anything um, because we are so nervous. I mean, we, if we get hit for the bill at the end of this, we're screwed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, but so we, we have, we do have an accountant and she's worked with my family for longer than I've been alive. Um, And um, so she's been our main be, besides the bank and she knows, seems to know more than the bank cause she attends some of these webinars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, our plan is to just keep really good records and to, like you said, you know, the, the biggest thing is this 75% going to payroll. And then, you know, we figure we have high utility bills with, um, rent and with gas and electricity. So mm-hmm. it shouldn't be too hard <laughs> and trash. Uh, it shouldn't be too hard to make up that 25%. Yeah. And now as a restaurant, do you, I guess, let me give a little backstory or, or just a little bit more context. So with the PPP, the way that it can be forgiven is essentially you have to continue to pay people. You, you receive uh, enough funding to cover two months of sustained payroll at whatever your average monthly payroll was in 2019. So if your payroll was $10,000 a month, then you would have received a loan for 25,000 because Mm -hmm. it's 2.5 X. And when you're applying for the loan, you don't even write down a number of what you of how much you want to apply for. You just tell them, Hey, here, here's my payroll numbers. And they go, okay, great. You get X. Congratulations. And, and for us, we didn't even have anyone contact us. It was just like, we woke up one day, I checked our bank account and there was money in it. So <laughs> like, that's just how things are going. They're just moving really, really quickly. So you, know, you get 2.5 X and then what the dangerous part of it is, or the, the dangerous potential here is that you get that 2.5 X. So you, in the example, you have $10,000 in uh, monthly payroll. So you get $25,000. Okay, great. So you have to use that money 
to continue at least 75% of it to pay, uh, to maintain your payroll at pre-COVID levels. Mm -hmm. And then the way that you get that loan forgiven is by continuing at the exact same rate to pay your employees for the subsequent two months. And the danger there is if business hasn't started to return and there isn't an increase in funding coming in or an increase in revenue coming in, then if you have to lay off people in those in months three and four after the first two months where you had that, that PPP money, then you don't get that loan forgiven and you have to then pay it back. So you're like double screwed essentially. And it'll be interesting to see what the government does. And I, I wonder, and maybe you can shed some, some light on this, A, as a, uh, you know, a, a being in, in the ownership side of things, if that has been dinner table discussion with you and your parents, and then maybe after that, we can, we can talk about it from a kind of a policy perspective and, and what you see put as potentially happening moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think in the beginning it was, it was putting out a fire. So it was just a mad scramble to get this PPP and kind of saw it as our only way out. And then we got it huge, you know, maybe a week of, of celebrating, but pretty quickly you realize, I mean, two months in a business is nothing. It's nothing. Right. You've been around for 30 years. When I was making any changes, you know, I'd be afraid to make any big change sooner than three months out. Like you, you just, as a business owner, you think much longer term and you need to be able to think longer term in order to be successful, right? To, mm-hmm. to implement any changes. So, you know, it's now, it just feels like, you know, with the way that the PPP2 came out, it just feels like there is no guarantees that this is going to continue. And so now we are starting to think, okay, well, what's going to happen after? And yeah, how do we A, ensure that we don't have to repay that loan? And, and how do we operate it? You know, we're not down at 90% of sales or 10% of sales like we were, yeah. but you know, we're at maybe 50% uh, on a good day. So what is our business going to look like with, you know, consistent 50% of what it was before? Right. Because if you're operating with 50% revenue, but hundred percent staff, yeah. how do you, how do you continue to pay everyone? And if you don't, then how do you repay the loan? Because you weren't forgiven because, June and July weren't where you thought they were going to be or or where the government thought it was going to be. Right. And I think that this is going to last way longer Mm -hmm. than we, and this isn't like, I'm not going out on a limb here (laughs) saying that it's going to last longer than we all originally thought it was going to last. Right. Oh, this (laughs) is at least a year. And, you know, so say, yeah, you know, we start opening up, we're getting better at testing. There's contact tracing. It, that is not the same as people wanting to go into a restaurant, you know? Right. That's not the same as business coming back. That just means that people can 
go back into a restaurant. It doesn't mean that they will. So uh, it's going to be years before we're, we see the numbers that we saw before and maybe never. Right. And I think there, there are two different things there. One is what are, what laws are going to be passed or, or mandatory guidelines, whatever are going to be passed in the near term as we try to defrost the economy and mm -hmm. open up restaurants and prevent them, you know, just this mass extinction of restaurants mm -hmm. while still keeping, you know, public health at, at, as a top priority. Well, do you eliminate 50% of chairs, you know, of inside seating? Yeah. And so you have the kind of the, the hard limitations and then you also have the soft limitations which is just the human psyche and like the general public mm. sentiment right you know it's amazing how over the last two months we've gone from hey look at that weirdo wearing a mask mm -hmm. to you know you come home and you're like i was walking and this person didn't have a mask on and they <laughs> came they came within six feet of me and i thought i was gonna die and you're <laughs> like it's just amazing how those two things, you know, the, the contrast and of, 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 I know my like inner monologue just in the last two months. And so you're right. Like, even though I'm, you know, you're allowed to go to a restaurant, are people going to actually go into the restaurants and surely not at the same rate as what they, you know, where they once were. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I would imagine like you're probably accounting for the, the forecasted, depreciated tourist numbers yeah yeah tourism i mean this whole city it's tourism is the next isn't it next to the military it's our biggest industry yeah we pretty much have biotech military and tourism yeah and and, and but in the summers i mean it, it's tourism that is pb that is, doubles yeah, in, in population isn't that right oh that that would surprise me on a low side yeah, yeah. i mean yeah the you know the pacific beach in february versus pacific beach in july yeah. oh man I mean, it's like tumbleweeds versus yeah. new york's versus like uh you know new york city with the ball drop on new year's <laughs> eve and, yeah. i mean it may as well be right yeah absolutely no you're right e even if if all guidelines were rescinded today there's still no way that you're getting to 100% yeah. Right. So moving forward, like kind of where do you see things? What, what adjustments can you be making or are yeah. you making as you kind of look forward in order to a meet that, you know, the, the PPP guidelines and then B just to uh, try to encourage as much foot traffic to come back in as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, this is, this is the time to be creative. Um, to start podcasts and <laughs> do crazy things. I think um, that's what's really going to be rewarded. Um, and it's funny because we, we're not a creativity restaurant. That's a lot of restaurants are, you know, they have to keep up with fads and they have to kind of have the new flashy thing, but that's not, never been Konos. Konos has always been the consistent thing, the consistent restaurant that almost feels like you're stepping back into 1991. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and some of those chairs and tables are probably from yes. 1991. Oh my God. I had to throw some, a lot of stuff from the nineties away since I started um, <laughs> while keeping some of the good stuff. Yeah. But, yeah um, of course. 
yeah, you know, it's tough. I mean, like for me personally, where I am, you know, as you mentioned, I'm going to school for public policy and that consumes all of my time and my parents are older and we're not really set up to pivot, you know, to completely transform our business. I mean, in some ways we already have it. We went, this is no joke, three years ago, all cash business, no phone orders, no delivery, cash. That's it. You have to show up for the 20 or else you can't eat. Today, yep. we don't accept cash. And, you know, maybe three quarters of our business is phone orders and delivery services. So we did transform overnight. But, you know, there's that kind of next, th- this was kind of the stop the bleeding transform. Um, you know, just anything to get a dollar going into our cash register or a digital dollar. Um, right. An overnight deposit. Yeah, exactly. Right. With minus 30%, um, which that we could talk a whole podcast about, you know, how high these rates are for delivery services because we lose money every time they place an order but anyway oh, that is so no i i that is not time for another podcast that's time for this no, podcast that's this Talk one to me okay yeah no seriously i mean because I, I that's something that i i hadn't thought about at all so I, I appreciate you bringing that onto my radar but yeah you know restaurants have like we said notoriously low margins yeah so if you're it's one thing if you're like a i don't know a chipotle or a subway and like your cost of goods are, are pretty low and like that and yeah you know you can pay DoorDash or uber eats or whatever the is and it really 30 30 percent so we you know um which one uber eats we ne- never worked with because they would never come down from their 30 percent the other were on grubhub doordash and postmates and we got them down to 25 percent. but you know they acted like that was giving us this huge benefit but 25 percent right (laughs) that's more than everything so they tell you though oh don't worry you can raise your prices well then there goes that's not what konos does exactly and so we did have to raise our prices i mean there there was except for here's a little tip uh postmates is is our old prices um oh fun fact yeah so well my my legion of listeners uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah but okay, so here's an interesting thing. So I was at home and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get DoorDash from Konos and I'm going to just see what this experience is like, of course, right? To test it out. So I got an egg burrito and that costs $7.95. Number one. Uh, I got a number one. Good call. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, with everything, it came out to $17. So, you know, that's like six fees and then a tip. So there's six a tip. fees and a tip. And you as Konos are not seeing any of those fees probably. No, no, no. Yeah, because they charge us 30% of what we charge. So, you know, right. I, I said a $7.95 burrito. That was our old price. So on there, I think we bumped it up a buck. So it's $8.95 or so $9. Okay, so we'll say $9. $9. So, um, so, so you're, they're, taking they're giving us two- 75% of $9. But then right. on top of that, they charge a, um, like, you know, a DoorDash fee 
right. and then a delivery fee and so then you're... sales tax and then a tip. Right. So you're getting a little over $6. You're getting like six, like six twenty or something. And another $10 is going to DoorDash. That is yeah. incredible. I mean, some of that sales tax, some of that is a tip, but yes, it's, it's insane. I'm honestly surprised at the volume of these delivery services that we do, because I just think I, I personally, you know, what I, as a good local restaurant owner, I've been trying to support local restaurants, but I'll drive there and pick it up or maybe I'll have them deliver it. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to pay that especially because yeah. I live on my own. So I could see if you've got a family of four or five people, then, you know, that extra $10 gets spread out and it's not so bad. But if you're right. ordering for one person, yeah, I would $10, never do that. Right. $10 on top of $60 is a whole lot different than $10 exactly. on top of $6. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Well, th thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that for... And it needs to be addressed because, you know, you mentioned like McDonald's and Chipotle. I guarantee you that they, because they're so large, they've negotiated with these companies and the companies have brought down the price. So I bet you McDonald's is getting like paying 10% to DoorDash in right. all these places. So I think it's time, you know, now that they're obviously making a lot of money that, you know, whether this is on a policy side, I guess it has to come on policy side because they've kind of, even though there's four or five companies, it's basically, you know, a, I don't know what a duopoly, but yeah. for four, you know, it's- A quadropoly, yeah. A quadropoly. <laughs> yeah, well, it's almost, you know, this could actually be a blend of all of the things that you are so passionate about. You could be, you could essentially unionize yeah. A commute, a community of small uh, restaurant owners, or right, so small business restaurant owners, uh, and negotiate, in, you know, with a larger faction, and go to DoorDash or Postmates or whatever, and say, "Hey, us as a group of twenty or thirty or a, or a hundred locations, we would like to pay sixteen percent." And yeah, you know, maybe blend that that policy interest and, and background. I know you're involved yeah, in, in you're local right. politics and the local PD planning group. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, the, the thing is, in, 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 yeah. in between grad school classes and running a business, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and start this as well? Oh my God, there's so many there's so many things I, I could talk for hours about how the bad the PPP is and how it's. Yeah. So, yeah. So maybe, maybe just share like a, share a little bit, I guess, from that policy standpoint. And I know that, you know, this is your area of expertise and also just your area of interest, right. Is, yeah. is more is, is on this policy side. So yeah. Open forum here. I mean, the, the biggest thing is that this is all a choice. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of anger at the Shake Shacks and the Lakers and, banks even. And that's not where the anger should be. This is a policy that was designed to work this way. There were people who got together and said, yes, we should do it through banks because that'll infuse more money through banks. And we don't care so much about high unemployment because high unemployment's good 
for big companies. High unemployment means there's low wage pressure. It's good for investors. You know, that, that's the kind of free market approach that we've taken. But the, I think the biggest thing that makes me so mad is that there are other ways to do this. And the rest of the world is doing that. In Europe, they, they have no unemployment problems. Europe, <laughs> like Europe that was like crashing and burning during 2009. Germany right. in between March, uh, the six week period from March to mid April, the percentage of people uh, requesting unemployment actually went negative. So they had fewer people in that period requesting unemployment than in the previous period. And how is that possible? So because they don't do this ridiculous thing where they work through the banks and have the banks figure it out. The government directly pays businesses a portion of the of wages. It's as simple as that. So as I, as a small business, I would reduce my hours, say, you know, if I, we were to really reduce our hours to what we were making, we would probably cut everybody's hours in half. So what the government does is they step in and they say, great, we will take that 50% wedge and we will pay a portion of that. So in Germany, they pay up to, I think, 80% of their original wages. Um, you know, other Europe, Northern European countries pay all the way up to 100%. Um, right. So, is, it, is it Denmark who's basically just paying everyone? And yeah, but it's the, the same. It's the ice. same system that it's in principle. So, yeah, ex it's exactly the same, and it makes so much sense from every angle. I mean, you have, uh, you're not dealing. You know, there's there we're backlogged in the PPP, but there's also huge backlogs in the unemployment system, and you just avoid people going on unemployment, so you keep people in their jobs. Also, Europe is going to be ready to go once the economy starts going again because they have all their employees. Nobody's been laid off. Everybody's ready to go. Everybody's, you know, working maybe limited hours if they can and can be safe. Um, so they can switch their economy on in a heartbeat. Um, whereas us, this is going to go on a long time with what, what you, you reported the latest unemployment. What is it? 14 and a half percent. Uh, yeah, something like that. I, I know we in uh, in the first like six weeks of this, I, I want to say we lost thirty million jobs. Yeah, like that is insane, and it, it is as a choice. Like this was a policy design, and um, you know, I just wish people were less mad at Shake Shacks because really, Shake Shack should get some support. <laughs> you know, they employ a lot of people. I don't know right. about the Lakers, for, but <laughs> yeah, and and so for the people who aren't familiar, you know, why would someone be mad at Shake Shack? Yeah, so Shake Shack got um, a PPP loan and they were very early on, they got it. And somehow word got out that they had gotten a loan and, you know, 10, or sorry, two and a half times payroll. payroll. That's, that's millions of dollars. And, right. you, you know, the design of this business, the, the, the program is for small businesses. Right. Obviously, Shake Shack doesn't fit that profile. Um, yeah, I'm actually so surprised because I, I, I think what I was going to say one of the things. Oh, really? Yeah, the, that, the public pushback was that much. Well, they actually they probably it's no good deed goes unpunished because I think they gave it back and then the pushback came because everybody realized, wait, 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 why did you get it in the first place? Oh boy, 
Uh, and then the Lakers got some, huh? But at least, it, I mean, but it's capped at a hundred K, a hundred, a hundred thousand dollars per annualized salary mm. per employee is what you can be forgiven up to. And then anything above that, like, you know, sorry about it. So mm. it's designed in theory for businesses of fewer than 500 employees to keep those, pay, those employees on who make less than a hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I was joking about the Lakers, but in reality, you know, the Lakers aren't playing. Like, they employ a lot of people, and I actually do think that that, you know, that's better than all of these people going on unemployment, (laughs) you know? Right. We're going to pay people money anyway. Why not just pay through the businesses, and then you keep the businesses alive? Right. And and I think that that is something, um, gosh, you just bring up, like, just so many good points there. So when you think about, especially the small businesses and you have hired, let's say you have two managers, four assistant managers, and like, you know, kind of a rotating cast of, of like, whether it's like food runners or kind of your, your front end, like zero train or minimal training, uh, or early employees, right? Like your, your step Mm -hmm. one entry level employees. Well, the glue that holds those businesses together are those assistant managers and and those general managers. And when, and I'm talking about like Jamba Juice or, Mm, you know, whether it's, it's Kono's or, you know, whether it's a small business or or like a larger business, it's those middle people who kind of hold things together and and know like, oh, sorry, you have to like jiggle this key to make this (laughs) thing work. And, and when someone comes in and they want this substitution on an order, this is how you entered into the system, right? Things that, that you can't just plug someone in on day one and say, Hey, this is now, you know, everything, right? You can train someone up to like the first 80% with a handbook, but the rest, you know, that other 20% or whatever, it, it comes from experience. And if you have people filing for unemployment, First of all, there you know you can get into a whole big discussion about incentives and disincentives. Exactly. You know wh- right. But then also, if you are on unemployment and you know y- your rent is the same and 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 you have all of these other costs, people are going to move back home and people are going to make big lifestyle changes. And, and if this continues on for a long time, those people aren't going to be coming back. And so when the when things are defrosted and businesses open back up, okay, great. Well who's going to, who's going to run things. Right. I mean, you know, unemployment right now is gotten so generous that it's pretty far above most people's, if they're making minimum wage, they're making a lot more. They're not going to come back to work. Why, why would they? Right. I know that the, the $600 weekly bonus, I want to say that goes through June. Is that right? Oh, and then that stops. Yeah. And then, and then it'll revert back. And so that, that to me is like the great unknown is July and it's either June or July, Mm. but at some point, okay, the PPP is over and the big unemployment uh, bonus is over. But now all of these businesses have missed out on their big peak summer, you know, the summer revenue time. So if you live in, you know, if you're a a beach in New Jersey or or a town in New Jersey and, and like, through the Jersey shore or whatever version of that, you know, that there is like basically anything coastal or any, any sort of tourist attraction. The summertime is obviously when you're making the bulk of your money. Yeah. You know, COVID-19 is really selfish by not just doing this in like 
November, December. I know. <laughs> like, just limiting, you know, like three off off season months, but like by extending into the summer, uh, you know, people are going to businesses, their PDPs and money is going to run out. There mm-hmm. isn't going to be that big return in, in customers and therefore in revenue, you know, I'm sure most businesses, if you live in a tourist town, you're making like 90% of your annual revenue in four months, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. Like latter half of May, June, July, August, first half of September. Yeah. It's is a like... Memorial Day to Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think the, the great unknown is what happens in July, August, September, when mm-hmm. all of that government help has run out, but things haven't returned. Mm-hmm. And when you've spent, you know, two and a half trillion dollars at the very start of this, there's only going to be so many trillions before, you know, the Congress just can't pass any more relief. So I think that, you know, while, you know, getting a relief package together immediately was important and it was important that it was big and there are always going to be mistakes, but we really put our eggs in this basket and there's not going to be a lot left. Um, Yeah. Do you think, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one other thing is that, you know, in I'm learning about in my public finance class, there's this term called the leaky bucket, which with any redistributive program, there's going to be leaks, right? There's going to be money that goes to people who shouldn't, don't deserve it. And right, I feel right like... right-wing nightmare. Yes, exactly. But, you know, it's it's inevitable. It's part of any redistribution is you're, you can never perfectly target the people who need it the most. But I feel like the PPP is a bucket with no bottom on it. Like this thing has for sure, we know like it's gotten into the wrong hands and it's just so poorly designed. And so I just feel like the, to really, you know, hammer this metaphor home, but I feel like that well is going to be dry. Like there's, we're yeah. Go back to it. And, and, and I think what's going to happen out of this and, and, is the because like you said congress is just going to run the 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 congressional uh ability to pass these these legislative mass scale uh funding operations is going to come to an end and so what's what's the only other option to keep to get money flowing again in the economy is to prematurely open things up yep and so I mean, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but man, I do not envy someone who's going to have to make that decision yeah. that is going to be in, in broad daylight under a magnifying glass. How much is a human life worth, right? Mm. Like it's, you know, th- that's, that obviously to anyone who's ever studied, you know, any sort of an econ, when a government is deciding, hey, do we put in a stoplight or a stop sign mm-hmm. here? one of the things you're looking at besides, you know, congestion and, and traffic flow is how many people are dying here? How, what kind of injuries, what's, what's the rate of risk here? Do I need to put in a flashing sign for a crosswalk or can I just do a regular mm-hmm. crosswalk, right? How much do I need to invest in this? Because what is the, what is the overall risk here? And I feel like that, that's, that is, I don't feel like it. That is what Congress is going to have to take yeah. into account when they're deciding what to what to pass from an ec- from an economic standpoint, and that's maybe not so much with Congress, but what the executive branch is going to be have to 
is going to have to take into account when they're putting out their guidelines are how much is each human life worth? Yeah. Right. Mm. Sad and tough and just man, we're nearing the so end of this <laughs> and I, we're, we got to find some positive. Cause that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's what this show is all about is, is ending on some positive. We want to, we want to make it real, but we got to end on, on something positive. So, uh, you know, w- give me some good case scenarios here. What are the adjustments that y- you as the, the restaurant owner are making? What can you hope for moving forward that the, that the government can do in an ideal world? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think this is a, maybe a good way to end because it's hilarious and probably won't happen. But this is like the idea of the day. Um, and I know you'll get a kick out of it. So we're kind of, as you've mentioned, you know, we're going from this kind of short term put out the fires, or maybe I said that. <laughs> That's yeah, me. yeah. But, um, you know, going from thinking short term, how do we stop the bleeding to like, okay, long term, what if people really never come back like they used to? How can we serve breakfast, right? Um, so my idea today was, what about a like, you know, ice cream truck style Kono's van um that would just kind of go around pb because everybody knows konos they know our menu we we we've got you know we burritos egg burritos stay good for hours so we've got like a heated like you know cooler there and we just sell burritos and breakfast sandwiches maybe a couple other things and we play some tune and we just kind of go up and down the streets of pb (laughs) hawking our burritos it's genius. <laughs> I, I don't know why anyone's laughing. What are you doing on this podcast with me right now? You you should be you should be out there negotiating, haggling with some food price, some 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 food van, food truck guy, oh and buying God. buying a new Konos mobile. <laughs> this is genius. I mean, yeah, you can do it pretty I mean, simple. Yeah, everyone knows what Konos is locally. Yeah. Everyone wants to support you. And if I could avoid paying $17 for exactly, a burrito, you know, that's delivered what to I, my house. I want to cut out these delivery services because that's just, it just makes me so mad. All right. Well, we, we've found what Joe's uh, pain point is. And, and I think that that genius idea is, is where we're going to leave off because that, that is just, it's brilliant. I, I hope, I hope uh, in when we have our, our month or two from now, our follow up to this episode, <laughs> that you're like oh man uh i'm talking to you from my yacht in the bahamas <laughs> uh because we have three vans and all it turns out all everyone wants are breakfast burritos and big breakfast number ones Grant, delivered I, to their house i have a question for you though i need oh, your help with me. something okay talk to me so you know the ice cream trucks they have the song that they play yeah so we need to play a song what would the Kono's song be? Ooh, uh, pr- probably happy. Yeah, it's got to be upbeat. Yeah. No, I mean like the, oh, the, literally. The song, literally the song. You know, <laughs> "Happy" by Pharrell. <laughs> I mean, what makes me happier than a giant, affordable, delicious breakfast burrito brought to your door in a van? Brought to oh man, and I don't have to leave. I don't have to literally endanger myself and my family 
Uh, yeah, I think at this point, this is just like a, 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 an hour long unintentional infomercial for Konos <laughs> and this, this culinary crush that I have on your family's uh, food. Um, Joe, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, yeah. I feel like that, that, that last half, especially you were able to shed um, just, you know, a, a different perspective on things with your, with your grad school training and public policy. And I know it's something that's always been near and dear to your heart, but, um, man, thank, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, this was super fun. And I, I, I will hold you to that, uh, in a month or two, we'll, we'll have to do a follow-up and, uh, and I, <laughs> I, I really want to hear, I want to, I want to see the implementation of this food truck yeah. idea. I, I, I think it's, I think it's got wheels. <laughs> Thanks, Grant. Joe, one last thing, and I almost forgot about it. How do people support Kono's Cafe? You can, of course, come to our restaurant. We have curbside pickups. You can call ahead. You can call when you get there. Um, we take a lot of. You can pay for an over over overpriced burrito <laughs> to be delivered if you want. Yeah, you can definitely. You can do that. We'll take it. We'd be happy with that. But um, if you want kind of something close, call ahead and then show up and, and you can stay in your PJs. Right. And then, of course, you can also buy gift certificates online. Yeah, we have a link. KonosCafe.com. KonosCafe.com. Yes, we did get that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because we started our website, you know, like 30 years after. 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, there's uh, e-gift cards on the website. So we, we of course, loving, love selling those. Uh, and then if you want to avoid paying 16 or $17 for a burrito, <laughs> if you just buy 10 of them, then the cost per unit will go down because <laughs> exactly. it will amortize that all those fees. Boom. Problem solved. Give some to your neighbors. Right. Yeah. Buy some friends with uh, <laughs> a currency of egg burritos. I love it. All right. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I will see you. I will see you soon, my friend. Thank you so much to Joe Bettles for being on the show. And next time you're in San Diego, make it a point to stop by Kono's Cafe. Trust me, you won't find a bigger, tastier, and more affordable meal anywhere. And hopefully, someday soon, you can even dine in and sit outside on the patio, west of the boardwalk overlooking the ocean. As I always will, I'm ending today's show with one unsponsored small biz recommendation. And today's business that you should support, if you can, is Babe Kombucha. They make the smoothest, most delicious kombucha canned and ready to ship. So do some social distance shopping from your couch at babekombucha.com. No need to feel guilty because you're shopping small and helping kickstart our economy. Check out smallbizgoneviral.com for all episodes and updates. That's biz with a Z. I would genuinely love to hear from you with your feedback, input, interview nominations, and suggestions for future shows. You can always send an email to smallbizgoneviral at gmail.com. And just like with small businesses, if you like this podcast, please tell your friends. Thanks to Peggy Bunker and the Bunknates and their frontman and former guest of the show, Ryan, for use of their song Geronimo. The ever-depressing unemployment and COVID stats come from the Department of Labor website, dol.gov and worldometer.com. Someday, hopefully soonish, this will all be over. Until then, social distance, shop small, and buy local.